Let's face it, AI has gotten a pretty bad rap in the media and pop culture. Just think of Terminator, Blade Runner, or Ex Machina. But I think it's time that we give AI a fair shake. Welcome to Practical AI, the capacity for good, where we speak with some of the brightest minds in the industry about the exciting intersection of AI automation, customer support, and customer experience, and how we can use the latest and greatest technology to help teams do their best work. Hello, my name is James Deal. Welcome to another episode of Practical AI, the capacity for good. When you think about customers' success, what comes to mind? Do you struggle to come up with a definition? Are you overwhelmed by the amount of effort it takes to successfully engage your customers with great experiences and grow your business? Today, we're going to explore how AI can impact your customer success strategy and help scale your efforts. To do this, I've invited Ayman Hussein, who is an experienced customer success leader and the Director of Customer Success Data, AI, and Advanced Analytics at Microsoft. Ayman describes himself as a technologist, IT strategist, advisor, and cloud architect specializing in modern application design, infrastructure, and hyperscale data center solutions. I'm really excited to have Iman joining me today. Iman, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, James. Thank you for having me. So I love to start off by just kind of understanding a little bit more about where you come from, your background, what got you into what you're doing today. And really, honestly, I'd love to ask the question, what is currently getting you up in the morning to do what you do every day? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to start. When I look at myself and what I put myself through to get to where I am today, the common theme is this mindset of strategy and management consulting. Early days of my career started as a contractor, which evolved into working for companies that were focused on customer or client outcomes. And that got me into strategy and management consulting. And then finally, it landed me today where I work at Microsoft. And the common theme here was always focusing on the outcome a customer needs or wants or a client demands or expects. You put that in the front center, you have purpose, and that purpose defines how you take technology or anything that is not even technology-oriented to give that fulfillment that comes with it. Now, this disposition is not for everybody. I think I'm disposed to this due to the fact that I have that mindset of customer obsession and being in a consultative space, which gave me the background and the foundation to move into this role. So what I do today at Microsoft, which is a product company, as everybody knows, in the world of Microsoft, one of the things I need to do for the commercial enterprise customers is help them use technology to do something they are passionate about themselves. So if you're in healthcare, you want to save lives. If you're in manufacturing, you want to make things faster, quicker, cheaper. If you are in the sciences, you want to do research on whatever it is that you want to accomplish. And technology is just the brick building blocks and bricks that make it happen. And so my job at Microsoft on the data and AI space is to help them achieve their success by focusing on their outcome, focusing on what they want done and helping them achieve it using the Lego blocks of Microsoft solutions to give them that proper capability to do it. So what happens in the data and AI world is a lot of customers have a lot of data that they have not collected over decades of operations. And we want to give them insights off it. And they are using that to be better what they do. Why would you want that? Well, we live in a very volatile world today where there's economic challenges, banking challenges, wars, 
that impact how well you work and how ready you are for the future capabilities of being in business. I mean, look at it, we are coming out of the COVID pandemic. And if you weren't prepared, your supply chain, your ability to have people work remotely, all is that impacted. And that's what technology is supposed to help you do that. I take the technology that Microsoft has in the data and AI space, bring it to the customers and help them do more with it so that they can achieve their goals and successes. Awesome. So you have this interesting kind of evolution in your career from computer programming to consulting to customer success. Where's the jump from computer programming to really being so passionate uh, and advocate around customer success and the customer experience? That's a great question, right? Think of it this way. When you are a low-level employee, even in a contractor consulting or programming, you're doing somebody's ideas that they've come to you, right? Somebody says, build me a report bunch of servers to do X, Y, Z. Somebody had that idea. In the C-suite, we have roles that supposedly have those ideas, but not naturally always the ones that are doing that ideation, right? You're the CTO, CIO, CEO, CFO, CMO, you name all these people with the C-suite names that are putting the direction of a company together. And then it translates all the way down to the rungs, down to the programmer or the developer who was at the lowest of it, perhaps uh, doing that work. What I wanted to do is figure out why we were doing these things. So one of the challenges I had in the early career of my technology was someone's decisions were not properly thought. They were poor. And we're looking at it, and I could tell looking upwards, I'm like, you know what? This thing's going to fail miserably because these things were unaccounted for, but I had no say or voice in it. And so I started looking upwards. I'm like, who has that say? Who has that voice? And if you go up the rungs of those ladders, you realize that these C-suite people are actually invoking some strategy and management consultancies like McKinsey's and the PWCs to help them create these ideas, help them grow and do whatever it is they need to do. And I said, well, if they're coming with ideas and they're creating ideas that are not necessarily the best for the customer, that means I need to get there and show them some of that capability. Well, evolution has happened in technology. You have mindset of being agile. Well, I remember in the days of waterfall technology, deployment, project management, now we're in agile. That was in, let's get the feedback, roll it into a development cycle and recreate whatever it is so that we don't waste time and massive amounts of projects can ultimately fail. If you look at the US here, particularly uh, massive projects in technology have failed for large companies that decades to get going. And then you realize they're just shelving it and writing up the cost. That's wasteful. And so I started going from the bottom up towards the top so I could get to the place where those decisions are made. And that's one of the ways you get to that place. And these organizations like the management consultancies are where those things are happening. And then you have to kind of button up with the product companies like the Oracles and the Microsofts and the Googles because they are now creating the solutions that these management consultancies are coming up for their customers and demanding the ecosystem for it. Well, that makes sense. Oh, I can see now how you would move through that trajectory to end up where you are today. So when we think about now that you've been spending time in customer success and very engaged in that area, when you think about that customer success category, and then you think about AI, which is in your title, in fact, so I'm guessing you think about that on a regular basis. There was actually a 2020 Oracle report that showed that eight out of 10 businesses had already implemented or planned to adopt AI as a customer service solution. Fast forward three years or the end of 2022 and ChatGPT hitting the market. And now, of course, with Microsoft's product, everybody's here with these large language models. What do you kind of think of the state of the current state of AI and how it impacts specifically customer service, customer support, customer success? 
Absolutely. It's a great segue, right? If you think of AI as a context and concept, it's been around decades. It has taken iteration of iterations of changes due to the fact that technology is caught up to some of the things that we needed AI to be able to do. But one of the core foundational pillars of AI is the ability to take data and do what a human would do faster. So the early onsets of machine learning concepts or reinforced learning, all these things had one purpose. We would take a massive amount of data, we'd punch it in a way that would give us some results, right? So if you think of mainframe developers in the old, uh, like 30, 40 years ago, a business analyst will call up the operator and say, hey, I need a report to do X, Y, Z, right? And they will run the report. But before they could run the report, the data analyst or the web programmer would have to know what table to look at, what tables to merge, what data points need to be brought together, then save it and then rerun it against something else. A lot of computational knowledge, tapes and disks and all that to mount and get all the data. That was what a human would do. So what happened with the onset of AI is we are taking that human activity speeding it up for those repeatable tasks. For example, if you're a programmer, if you have any basis of program, one of the common things of algorithms is this thing called the for loop. For one to 10, do this 10 times, right? And it's called a for loop. You iteratively run the code over and over again to get to the result you need. Now, the for loop is a great powerful expression in programming, but it moves so much faster now that you don't have to worry about repeating a task by hand. If you think of the early onsets of SQL or databases or Excel files, we would uh, transition that workload uh, to the analysts who had an Excel file open. They would connect to a database back and grab the data, and then they would manipulate using the, the rows and columns and the formatting to get something that looked fine and quick and nice, right? And if you're following the Microsoft product suite, Microsoft Office 365 or, Excel, or the Excel product that comes with it, uh, we have this ability to do pivot tables or what-if scenario analysis. What essentially AI became easy to do is like, it saw a bunch of data, it looked like a zip code or a social security number or a name or an address and gave you some what-if scenarios like, hey, what if you're looking for this? What if this is what it is? And we start using pivot tables. That is that generative uh, AI has caught up to. We have a lot amount of data. We're taking the human element of doing things that otherwise we would have to sit there and do. And so when you think of my customer's success, or support, or those things. We are taking the human element out, but you cannot remove the human element. We're taking the human element of the way of volume. If you are a tax processor, you would have tax accountants look through all the tax documents, especially around tax time, 1040s, looking through all the columns, making sure they're done right. Well, that was a human looking with hands at a document, making sure everything was done right. But imagine if we can scan it in today, and we look at the boxes and say, hey, if this box is empty, that means this form is inaccurate. So take that put it aside. Then we went to that, the same thing happened in the IRS. You know, they ran these forms through these OCR systems and they said, oh, these forms are incomplete. These numbers can be read, set it aside, give it to a human, they'll go process it. Then we got into cognitive services. So we use cameras and scanners to start recognizing letters, OCR type things, voice, all that. Now we're taking that human element out that requires us to do that. So that's what generative AI has reached. AI in the world of Microsoft is adding those capabilities that tools couldn't do because either the systems were too slow or programming did not exist and matter. For example, your mobile phone. Right now, if you're driving in your car and you want to use your mobile phone as your destination mapping software, you would have to type it in. 
But what if you could speak it? And well, to speak it, remembers you have to hit the microphone button, you have to say words that are articulated, processed at the cell phone level or the mobile phone level, then sent to Google Maps or ways to tell you where the mapping software needs to go and do things that you would use your fingers to do it, right? Well, imagine the amount of power that mobile phone needs to have to process that voice file, translate it to notable uh, the coordinates or address points that then gets fed into Google that you would do naturally if you were typing in an address and then gives you the the, uh, the thing to go drive towards because in some states you cannot drive with your phone in hand, right? So that's the idea. So we are using technology to do that. What the AI piece of it is, is uh, and essentially getting to the generative point. So chat GPT, so right now we, you and I are talking in the year 2023, chat GPT, three, four, five, very soon are going to come out. What does that mean? That means that we are making that model that is basically a computer program process faster using the humongous amount of CPU that's available in the world through these companies like AWS and Google and Microsoft Azure. So we can process these large language models so that when you ask a question, it has the intelligence built in through the model, which is processing faster and faster to be able to give you the data that you need. Otherwise you sit there and do the same thing like example, not even too long ago, maybe even two years ago, even a year ago, if you wanted to do some research for a book or a document or whatever like talk that you want to do, you would have to go to a search engine like Bing or Google and type in those things, collect it, save a link, do just type it differently, save a link, read those things, come back, research it, write it in a Word document, whatever. You're doing all those own pieces with generative AI. What we're doing is taking those things and task linking them to get you there. So you can go to ChatGPT, for example, and say, hey, give me the five books that were talked about in this revolution 4.0. Well, the first thing that ChatGPT is doing is to take that wording, what you said, translate it from words to text. So there's probably an engine that does voice recognition there. So that's a little bit of computer program there. Takes the text and says, okay, I'm going to feed it to a Google-like engine to see all the links that pop up. Then I'm going to open those links, read them, and then I'm going to try to co correlate that into something sensible. Well, those tasks are linked to give you this research document that sounds very Star Trek-ish, right? You, know, you talk to the computer, it tells you what it is, but essentially those are tasks linked. Guess what? hundred years ago, you would ask peon to go do that. It's like, hey, go get me some research. That's what lawyers do with their clerks, right? The lawyers say, I need to go find precedent law. They would go to the law library, pull up all these books and read it or know it, and then have these massive amount of research done. Well, that's what they're doing. They're removing the element and using the speed of light to get it faster and quicker. So in the world of Microsoft, chat GPT or AI, GPI, are the things that we want to do to make your job faster, quicker. And those are what we need the customers to do, not just a novelty. What would make your job faster and quicker by using these technologies? That is a great description of how it works and how it's affecting people. As we think about AI, that is really what I think the value of AI is, making everybody's life, jobs easier, better, faster, more productive. People are worried, worried about AI thinking it's going to take their job away. I think if it's used correctly, it's going to enhance their job. So how does Microsoft think about the AI human augmentation? You were kind of speaking to it a little bit there, but I'd like to dive a little bit deeper in, in how do you see it and what can people in this industry learn from what Microsoft is doing in this area? Absolutely. I'm glad you bring that up. So if you think of a keyword you brought up here is uh, augmented humanity, that is what we want to do. We want to augment it. It is not taking somebody out entirely. We need to augment it. And if you think of some of the basis of technology that has already been around for a while, for example, if you're a pilot in today's aviation world, 
And the for the last 20, 30 years, there's been automation in the airplane cockpit or the flight deck, so to speak, right? They have always had it. For example, in the old days, if a plane had a malfunction and they needed to land the plane, they would pull up the chart and look for an airport and say, okay, this is where we need to go. Let's change the compass and go there. What happened with the advent of GPS and systems like Garmin uh, Technologies, you just click a button that says nearest airport and the computer basically says, well, you're at the chart at this coordinated, this GPS location, therefore the nearest airport is here. Here's the information you need about the airport, go land. But you still need the pilot to land. Now, we have gotten technology to the point where you can land the plane without a pilot, but there are certain things that are not going to be interpreted by the computer because the amount of information requires you to process that at a real-time place where your human brain can do. So when I think of humans in the world of now and Microsoft as a technology provider, what we need to understand is those repeatable tasks and steps. So if you think about citizens' development and mindset, you know, you are empowered to develop things that your mind will allow you to do. For example, a medical professional, you went to school, medical school for eight, eight years, maybe did residency for another four and 12 years journey. You take that long because your human brain can absorb knowledge, just keep it in a place for recovery when you are in front of a patient, right? Think of that as an acceleration. So you can be a medical professional using chat GPT-like capability by asking the right questions, but you cannot ask the right questions if you don't know what you're observing or looking at. A great example of this is a veterinarian, right? Uh, we humans go to a doctor and say, oh, my belly hurts, my head hurts, my eyeball hurts, whatever it is, you say that. Dog, a cat, a donkey, a goat cannot do that. The veterinarian has to observe, pay attention. Well, a computer's not going to do that all the time. So if you think about what the human element of a medical professional using AI for their purpose, accelerating that capability. So what will happen is in the future, I predict, a medical school won't take eight years. It'll take four years because the amount of information you need to recover, it's already static. It's a lot of research data, a lot of data of other diagnoses that has happened and been cataloged. So you now do need a better way to research that so you can get the right research amount of data. Why do we go to a doctor and they send you for the same blood test? What if uh, there was indicators in the blood test that we cannot share because of laws of the land like HIPAA? But what if we shared it in a way that AI could go interpret that and says, hey, you know what, this part of the world has higher carcinogens because of factories and pollution. Therefore, this blood test will indicate this and blood versa that. Those are what researchers like CDC would do. Like, hey, what, is there a pandemic? Why is there a pandemic? Is there pollutants in the water? Is the you know the ozone layer a hole or whatever? Those things are going to accelerate. Just if you are in the world right now and you want to figure out what career to do, nothing should change except focus on those careers that does not require you as a human computer to do things that can be done as a computer. So customer success, customer service, support will still be there. What's going to happen? And it's already happening on these websites when their bot shows up and says, hey, how can I help? And it's interesting, depending on the generation you are, a lot of people prefer to talk to the bot before they want to talk to a human. There was a generation that preferred to talk to a human versus a bot. I personally like to talk to a bot. Like if I'm talking about my cell phone bill, I'd rather ask the questions, but what am I asking? You can't just say, hey, I'm pissed off. My bill is high. You say things that the bot will understand. Say, I'm calling about my bill last month's bill. So that is called prompt engineering, essentially prompting it to be very narrow about what you need to solve. And that's customer success, customer support. You can call about your car, right? Eventually, some human will pick it up. But if that human has already figured out all the things that your car is having problems with on the computer, as they're talking to you, they can figure out what's going on. And sometimes those customer success people or the customer support people can get information just by collecting data from where you're calling. So if you're on a cell phone and you're calling on 
the side of the road in the middle of nowhere and you're calling a AAA number, there's a good chance you're calling because you need help, not because you want to chit chat about travel bookings or whatever, right? You have this mindset of taking all that human data, reducing the time. So some jobs will diminish, but they won't be eliminated. So the way to get better at the job, the domain knowledge, oil and gas, energy, aviation, healthcare, all of that will still be relevant. It's just going to be relevant in the fact that the domain knowledge is not something you have to actually hold on to. It, it is available in the massive computer system and with the internet and shared resources, much of that can be collaboratively figured out. Love the way you're describing this. I think so many people are struggling to think about, especially if you're thinking if you're going to college right now, we have a college-age daughter getting ready to go off to college right now and trying to figure out, is the area that I'm interested in, to what extent is AI going to impact that and how do I adapt and prepare for that? Just from an individual standpoint, those are some of the questions that are out there. You mentioned you know, your cell phone bill. If you ever say, I'm pissed that my bill's too high, you're probably going to get a human no matter what. You know, the computer's not going to take care of that because you just need that empathy. You need that interaction that's going to ensue there to help resolve that issue. Correct. A good way to look at this is uh, years ago in my early college days, I used to be a photographer and I used to actually process film and print on paper in a commercial sense, not like you know, for a hobby. What happened is you know, digital photography came around, all those labs where you process films and printed on uh, print paper disappeared. But guess what didn't disappear? How to fix pictures that are bad. When I was there, I used to contrast it by using too much light, less light exposed, use a, use a dodger to make sure that the exposure was just right. But that knowledge hasn't gone away. So if you want a digitographer and correct prints, yes, you may be using products like Adobe Photoshop, but you still need to know lighting and the, the the hue and the saturation and what that looks like. That AI will fix some of it. Yes, AI is still there and there, like you say, auto exposure and fixes it for you. But if you're trying to take out something that doesn't look right, you still have to do that. Like even today's AI would remove background noise or background objects in a picture. It will randomly pick everything. And by the way, it may pick something you don't want removed. So you human will need to get there and still say, oh, keep this, don't keep that, do that. So the AI is just making that objectionable capabilities. Think of the task it took away from the human. The human would open up the picture, scan it in if it was old school, and then circle using a loop tool, say, get rid of that. Well, now AI is just doing those steps, but you still human need to go say, oh, that looks like a face, can't get rid of it. That looks like a lamppost, let's get rid of that, right? So think of that mindset. You are just getting better at your professional capability. You're still a photographer. You still have the passion, artistic capability there, and then do it from that point of view. So every discipline in the world, even things you and I are talking about in this video cast, podcast mindset cannot be replicated. I could not have this conversation with the AI. I could get near it, but ultimately it's the AI is as good as the last human that programs it or touches it. So at that level, you are still doing something there. So from where you sit, in your opinion, what areas of customer support do you believe will be most impacted by AI? Self-diagnosis type customer support. For example, even in the world of computers and programming, it's like if you say, hey, you know what? My Microsoft Office is not working. What do you do? We're collecting a lot of telemetry data already. We're probably creating some screen scrapes that tells me what error happened and where it didn't happen. The logs are there, right? In traditional method, we would send that to a customer technician support. They would look it up. They look at the error codes, do this something. That part of the need is going away. But and ultimately what will happen, some of those low-level troubleshooting that are diagnostically enabled 
will go away because you're using patterns and knowledge that has already been inputted in the system. For example, a check engine light in your car, it's coming on based on a bunch of things it knows. That's why it doesn't tell you. It doesn't say your radiator is busted. It just says check engine light, take it in. Those codes may still be erroneous in context. Replace your radiator. It might just be a faulty sensor. That computer doesn't understand the difference between a faulty sensor and your radiator is busted and leaking, right? It doesn't get that. You still need a mechanic to look at it. Maybe they'll even use a diagnostic tool to get their code and then go look at it visually and say, oh yeah, that's what the problem is. So those kind of things will disappear both in computer knowledge and other technology is. So if you're getting customer support for doing those granular stuff, it'll probably not be there much longer, but the last mile of it will still be there. I use credit cards or banks as information. For example, if you have fraudulent charge in your credit card, you can use your app right now and flag it as fraudulent. And depending on your relationship with your bank, they may even waive it and give you the money back because they have fraud detectors that will go figure out how to stop the payment from happening. But what if it's one of those things where we can't figure out if it's fraud? Well, okay, you went to the shop 20 times, bought it, paid for it, and this one time you're complaining. AI will flag it, give you some options based on your relationship with the bank, they may say, okay, I'll, you know, for James, I'll just let him have it this time, but don't do it too much. Like look at Amazon Prime when you do shopping and you return too many times, after a while they block you out, they'll cancel your accounts. Like, hey, you're t- buying stuff and returning it all the time. So you either don't understand what you're doing or you, you're just one of those people. And so people will get blocked out. Sooner or later, you'll get that place where that customer support, you can't just call up Amazon computer and say, hey, reinstate me. You'll actually have to talk to a human and that human will be like, hey, you know what? I've seen this pattern of you returning stuff over and over again. And what's going on? What do you not understand? Are you one of those people that buys something, uses it and sends it back? And that's just, that is a human conversation. So customer support will still be there for Amazon Prime. It'll just be a human getting to the last point of it. So yes, yeah, some of the jobs will disappear, but not all of them will disappear. So for businesses that are in the customer support, you know, have customer support or the customer experience team, it's important whenever you implement any kind of strategy to be able to measure it. When you think about AI, how do you measure the impact of AI on your business? What are some strategies around KPIs or measuring AI and the success of it? So that's a very interesting conversation to have depending on the domain you are. Let's use customer success or customer support in a you're observing the volume of calls going down. Maybe that's the metric, right? So how would you justify AI in that space? Well, if you had 10 calls this month and you only had one call next month because you implemented AI, that means AI did certain things for you. Either it made the quality of the calls better or it gave you telemetry data that sent it back to product engineering to go fix something that's always broken or you had an interaction that was solved before the human got involved. So the AI investment there is that you did not have to hire people, for example, retail stores during Christmas and holidays. AI could augment that. So your investment for AI is like, I did not need to hire 10 more additional folks to do this. So I just used AI to augment that. And therefore the investment made there should be lesser than the humans had to be hired for that job. Uh, That's the way you would look at the AI investment. But the AI investment is really based on the domain knowledge of how success is measured. If you're a lawyer and you're doing briefings and you have to do case law a lot, your AI investment might be the fact that you didn't have to clerk for somebody or pay for a clerk or hire a lawyer at high cost to go do those kind of things that a traditional would not require. So the AI itself pays for it in that context of that capability. But then AI in the, say, let's say, the field of medical science probably won't work very well because our laws of the land does not allow you to just 
call a computer and get diagnosis, get prescriptions delivered, right? So in that case, AI might be something of volume and scale. Like, hey, I have one pharmacist at CVS today. I don't need the three others if we did level of AI capability behind the scenes. For, for example, calling and checking insurance. Guess what? If you go to any of the US-based pharmacies, so you'll see that pharmacist on the back on the phone talking to somebody because insurance denied it or generics are not approved. Well, guess what? AI can take care of that. Now, that pharmacist is so valuable, well-paid, high top dollar, should not be sitting there on a phone talking to probably somebody in a different part of the world trying to figure out why the generic medicine was not approved or not approved, or they, can they get approved? Those are things that AI would solve. And therefore, the gen metric you would use AI to measure it would be like, okay, I did not have patients waiting at CVS uh, or not being able to get their medication filled because the pharmacist who has to kind of do the console is not available for you because they're on a the phone. And the only pharmacist can be on the phone because of the nature of the thing. Those are the kind of things that AI would fix. And therefore, you would use AI as a metric to determine how did you improve those things. So the metric improvements of whatever the business you are in is how you would create the structure. But it's a capital cost. It could be an operational cost depending on where you invest. And therefore you can actually have an ROI model that can be built on the fact that because I invested X number of OPEX, I have faster, whatever it is. So when we think about buying AI, finding AI, Microsoft obviously is in the business of providing it. What is Microsoft going to market with today? And what are ideally they trying to help businesses do with their AI? Great question. So we are in the middle of the year of 2023. So it depends when your audiences are, if you listen to this, we have this thing called co-pilot. The word co-pilot is designed purposefully, co-pilot. You're still the pilot, it's gonna co-assist you. And that is what we're going to market with. We're using Copilot, which is essentially an AI enhanced capability for almost all the products we have that'll get bolted on to it. For example, you open up Microsoft Word and you say, hey, I want to write a note for resignation. Today, you have to kind of figure out quit because of blah, 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 right? And based on your language preference or capability of writing well, it may sound good or not sound good. But Copilot will do exactly that for you. They'll say, hey, write me a resignation note and I'll write it in Word and it will will use the natural language model learnings that it has been programmed to do, use the style you commit to the kind of context of discipline you're telling. So that co-pilot is going to help you write better emails, better notes, better documentation, better uh, capability to do those kind of stuff. And then if you're a developer and a programmer, GitHub is the platform we use for the developers. We have co-pilot built into that. So you don't have to know all the natural language or computing language to do that. For example, you can say, hey, I'm a C-sharp guy or girl. That's all I know. I don't know Java. I didn't learn it. You can now use Copilot to say, hey, take this C-sharp code that I wrote, translate it into Java and show me what it looks like. And so that's what Copilot will do. It'll take all the context of C-sharp. Essentially, it's going to know the C-sharp libraries and say, okay, this is what this means. Therefore, the equivalent one in Java means this. And this is how you write it. This is how you comment it. This is how you field it and write it. So that's what Copilot is going to be doing for Microsoft. We are adding this to almost every product suite we have, where you can ask it to do the things that you either ways would have to learn or know. Excel is a great example of it. Like how many times do you have to go to a search engine and say, hey, how do I do this count if this, dot that, like this formula? You have done it a hundred times. You still have to go to Bing or Google, look it up, right? But it will not save that. It's like, hey, can you do the average of all these rows and then tell me the ones that look like it's messed up or out of whack, right? You can use natural language to get that message that you need. Uh, otherwise, you have to kind of go look at the Excel playbook and look at all the different ways you write formulas and if statements and whatnot. 
Wow. Well, that's an exciting addition to the Microsoft suite and looking forward to seeing that in action. Is that been released now throughout? It is available for preview and early adopters. It'll be released very shortly. We have some events again, with 2023 in the middle of the year that are launch events and it'll be available before the calendar year's out for majority of the folks. We have, if you're a consumer and you're using the release cycles for Office 365 or Microsoft 365, depending on which release cycle you are, you are getting access to some of these early adopter the feature is obviously a lot of a commercial agreements require support and agreements as such. So sometimes those support context really makes a difference on how you adopt or not. But yes, it's available to a fair amount of people and there's a way to get closer to it by using these release cycles and getting to the beta channels. Well, just a couple more questions as we kind of wrap up our conversation here. Would love to get your take on the next 10 years. What does AI look like in 10 years from now? What is it doing? What impact is it having on our lives? And maybe in conjunction with that, you know, that's probably a good question right there, but I'd love to also take, what are you afraid of with AI? Is there anything that kind of concerns you with exponential acceleration of the use of AI within our society? Absolutely. So let me start with what I feel is going to happen in the future. One of the challenges of AI and the reason we're at this place today is because of the onset of cloud computing. A lot of people don't realize the subset of cloud computing is what gives us AI today. What that means is we took all the CPUs that were possible, GPUs in many cases, brought it to a place where you can use it as a subscription for the chunk of things you needed to do. So development research became very easily available for people that otherwise had to buy those computers in the years past. So what does that mean? That means the CPU and GPU clock speed, the processing power is a limiting capability of how fast and how quick you do it. Well, we are at the cusp of opening up quantum computing. When that happens, you'll be able to process significantly faster. So what happens with AI is it becomes a real-life sentiency, even though it will be in my opinion. Why does that matter? Because look at ChatGPT 5, 4, and 5. The amount of parameters that you can pass it to program it is what was a limiting factor of the effective capability of it and how real it sounded. The number of parameters essentially like is in the billions today, but it can be multi-billions, even trillions if you had faster computers, or you're just sitting there programming this model for decades, right? That's what it is. Like, oh, I'm going to program this model for years and years and years because it takes that long for the computer to do natural computing. With quantum, that's going to speed up. So you will have very efficient language models for whatever it is created because of the fast computer behind it. So quantum will inject into AI and make it almost real-time fast. And depending on the quantum computing, make it real efficient to do those things that we have struggles with in the world of humans. For example, a self-autonomous car only works very well if all the other cars in the road are autonomous at the same time because you have predictability on it. The minute you have autonomous cars having problems with uh, other cars that are not autonomous is because the human element incapable of deciding what to do in the way the computer would be. Like even if you're going down a deer crossing and a deer pops up and pops back into the bush, you as a human will slow down, pause and say, you know what, I better be careful there because that deer might just jump up again. Autonomous car, unless you programmed it, would not do that. Autonomous car, oh, there was a deer. Oh, it's deer. It's no longer there. Therefore, I should go. So now you now might have an accident because a deer might come back because a deer is the unpredictable element here. That's what computing will do for us in the autonomous world. And is AI is going to be a big part of it. So a lot of those things that requires human to calculate will start becoming more efficient and quicker. So we have an amazing amount of automation in the world from things that cannot be automated because of the human element. The downside of that 
as the malicious intent of people exponentially arise. It'll get to the point where it will mimic behavior and patterns that humans will not be able to discern as not being capable. Now, there's two schools of thought. The school of thought is let's govern with laws of the land, or there's schools of thought that said, let's make technology so that there's a fail safe that people can automatically recognize of how it is. Uh, I don't know what the future looks like, but I think the best part of it is ability for automation in a way that makes us feel more productive. And in depending on what it is, and you know, like humans will always have a transition of roles and jobs that will over time. Like I use the example of the photographer, right? You know, those labs don't exist anymore. You go to CVS, they don't have the photo guy anymore, girl anymore. They have a computer. You can print all the prints you want from your USB drive, right? And so that kind of change will happen and AI will make those kind of changes more faster and quicker that some jobs will disappear, but it, people will not be left out in the cold. I'm like, same thing happened with farming and automation of car manufacturing in the turn of the century, last one. But the bad part of it is there's going to be a malicious intent. And most of this malicious intents will be for people with malicious intent. It's not going to be accidental malicious intent. It'll be designed for that purpose. Like we have spam calls and spam emails and all these kind of stuff. They, they weren't somebody just spammed you for the you know, wrong purpose. They know they, what they're trying to do there and get to it. So I think there's going to be a humongous amount of challenge there. So I feel what that's going to do is catalyst us into this encryption mindset, what will be quantum proof. For example, today we have encryption certificates, uh, 128K, 128 bit, or 256 bit. Well, you'll get to the point where it'd be so massive, even a computer, quantum computer cannot break it. Therefore, you will be able to understand if it's a human or a, 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 a quantum behind it. For example, today we use badges to enter a door. What if we use genetic genome data from your fingerprint or a blood to enter a door or not? Well, like AI computer probably won't be able to mimic that. Therefore, those kind of intrusions in computer systems will be navigated because we're using a human factor for something that a computer quantum computer cannot break. Therefore, that malicious intent goes down equivalently. But there will be a lot more of these scams that will come up that make people think twice about AI and that. And I think there's going to be a amount of regulation that will seep in, especially in the modern world, at least in the US. I think there'll be an intent to do that because it has proven that uh, some things that went unregulated does have early adopter wins. For example, remember the days when you could do a MP3 files and share it with your friends and buddies. The musicians were getting upset and they said, no, we got a better way. Well, it's not digitally right protected. You can't do that anymore. Same with contents and streaming. You know, you can't tape it, either, tour, bit tour, and so that. Use technology to augment that, but there is going to be a malicious group of people that will start off wrong intent or you know trying to capitalize on early adopter wins that are not ethically or morally right. I mean that no matter what you look at, whether whatever the material is or the technology is, the problem is still with people. So people will use those things to do malicious and have a malicious intent if that's their intent. So and that's what we have to stay on top of. Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast is called Practical AI, The Capacity for Good. I have one more question for you, but before I do, maybe you could just leave our audience here with what is something really good that you see coming out of AI and the impact of that? Absolutely. So, you know, we live in a world that has over 8 billion people. We, you know, I live in the US, we get very narrow focus on the 380 million some people. There are people around the world that don't have access to education 
or technical skill enablement because they just don't have it. What I believe the good that AI will bring is that knowledge to those people. All they would need to know is how to read and write at the very least or listen. Maybe they don't even need to read and write, listen to words that come out of a screen or a computer to enhance your skills. Think of the do-it-yourselfer. I have done projects in my house. Traditionally, would have been a contractor gate person that would need to do it. But I went to YouTube, looked at some videos. I gave it a shot and guess what? I succeeded, but that was knowledge gain because somebody put the knowledge in YouTube. Say, this is how you fix a broken pipe or this is how you change a light bulb or a, a, you know, a receptacle of power. These are the things you need to watch out for. So in a developing world where education, uh, structured education is challenging or not available, if you democratize that information through a smartphone or a smart device with 5G internet capable, the mobile network, person, a child, someone in a school across the world can get the same level of education access to data because of AI and be able to structure the curriculum that helps them. So they can be better farmers. They can be better uh, sustainability experts, you know, say save the planet almost as efficiently in that way uh, by doing the things that uh, we forget to share because knowledge is not uh, shared equally. And so I think that's the power of AI is going to make it easy for us to do that, where we'll just look at it on the network, internet, or whatever platform it is, and get the knowledge of what it is that we need to do. So you can speak for it. I'm mean, like, we do that today anyways. We have at Microsoft our Technologies called HoloLens, where you may be looking at a piece of machinery in virtual reality, point to it and say, how do I fix this? It's a generator. Well, the person that will tell you to speak to the generator might be a real person or might be a bunch of manuals that will open up. Now you can read the manual or you can have AI recite that manual to you or go down to the place that requires you to know how to fix it. So you're going to be better at fixing things that are broken. You're going to be better at saving the planet because of that. For example, if you're working in a refinery and you're about to have a leak that's going to pollute the waterways, what if you could jump in there and fix it and you were not the person, but you had the knowledge because AI went and told you how to do it. So those are kind of things that will help the world get better. So the knowledge sharing is what I believe AI is going to help us be better at. Exciting to, to see the future here as we move forward with this new opportunity around AI. So because of AI, because of the impact that AI has, it's creating a lot of new experiences for people. And one of the things I like to ask as a closing question is life experiences. Experiences impact memories. And memories as humans is what we have to hold on to. You know, things don't last, but memories do. And so experiences are part of creating that memory. And of course, AI can help create new and better experiences for customers. But just from a personal standpoint, I'd love to ask, when you think about creating experiences, what is an ex a life experience you would love to create for yourself, for your family, regardless of cost, that would have an impact that would create memories for you guys? I'm assuming in context of using AI, right? So we'll think of it this way. In my lifetime, I don't think I'll ever be able to experience what a lunar soil would look like or Martian soil or, you know, maybe go to top of Mount Everest because it's just not going to happen in my lifetime, right? Or not capable to be a part of that kind of adventure. You can use AI to recreate that synthetic experience of things that were here now or were in the past and that will really disappear because of that change of humanity and the world and the global uh, footprint. Uh, those are the things that I want. So like you can experience things 
that is just that an experience. For example, I use the Disney World example. There are people that love Disney World and go there every year. And there's people that do it once and done, right? Imagine that that is not because they didn't like it. It's just that, that experience intent was eventually fixated on that reward they get back. I have discredited to a movie theater. I don't go to movie theaters anymore to watch movies. I watch it at home on streaming media, not because I didn't like movie theaters, because I like the ability to pause, rewind, replay, or go take a nap between movies, right? You can't do that in movie theater, right? So think of that. My experience of watching a new release, there'd be Avatar or maybe, you know, Mission Impossible, whatever it is. I will watch that at home. So I will wait for a few months or weeks or months before it shows up on the streaming content because I want that experience. But imagine that I don't need to go see Machu Picchu and Peru. I could watch it in virtual reality using AI, augment almost all the sensations of it. And then that's the kind of stuff I look at is like, you can make the world accessible just by making those experiences happen. So I would do travel experiences for myself and my family for things that you don't really know to do that because, you know, there is a life impact, monetary impact and time impact to experience those things. Well, Ayman Hussein, thanks so much for joining me today. This was a great conversation, very insightful, love the perspective, and just look forward to hearing more from you in the future and Microsoft as they charge forward into this new frontier. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise. Thanks, James. I appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. Practical AI, the capacity for good, is brought to you by Capacity, an automated help desk, knowledge base, and customer experience platform. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you would like to improve your customer experience and internal operations, head over to capacity.com and get started for free. On behalf of the whole team, thanks for listening.